What's up, Pelicans fans, and welcome back to the Pelican Debrief Podcast. We are so thrilled that you are tuning in with us. My name is Preston Ellis. I'm your host. You can follow me at Preston Ellis, and of course, I represent our podcast and our site, PelicanDebrief.com, and on Twitter, at Pelican Debrief. Now, today, we've got a wonderful guest, Brendan Clean of the Bourbon Street Shots and the Step Back, and in case you didn't know, he was previously one of our editors here at Pelican Debrief and one of our site experts, and get this. He used to host this program. So before when I mentioned that Ian Levin and Mason Ginsburg were second-time guests, guess who hosted them back in December of 2016? It was Brendan Clean, who we're going to have on in just a moment. But before we get to that, I want you guys to go over to Pelican Debrief. We are well into our season reviews. I've got an article on why Danny Ferry is the best solution to the Pelicans' problems right now. And with our, our podcast, go to blogtalkradio.com slash pelicandebrief, and I want you to download some some of our previous podcasts. We've had outstanding interviews from Mason Ginsburg, also of Bourbon Street Shots, Ian Levy, also of the Step Back and Fan Side and NBA. We've had Jeff Duncan of the Times Picayune. We've had Andrew Juge of Saints Nation. We've had Jordan Crawford of the New Orleans Pelicans get out of town. We've had Mia Fields, his press representative, as well as Rick Stone, our own editor, Wilton Jackson, Chris Connor. We have been very busy here and we could really use your support. So before we get to Brendan, Hit subscribe on the podcast, retweet, like, all that good stuff. We love your support and we need it. So now, without any further ado, it's time to bring on our previous site expert and Pelican Debrief podcast host. You guys, it's time to phone a friend. Now we welcome onto the show our old friend and former site editor, Brendan Clean. How are you, Brendan? I'm doing well. This is such a kick for me. The last time uh, that Brendan was on the program, he was actually hosting it. And as our listeners know, we had Ian Levy and Mason Ginsburg on in the past few weeks. And uh, it wasn't their first time on the program because the last time they were on the program, Brendan Clean was hosting them. So it's such a thrill to have you back. Just to plug you for a second, Brendan is with Bourbon Street Shots. He's been posting heavily with those guys. He's also moved on to the Step Back and Fan Sided. Brendan, give us an idea as, as to your history as a sports writer. Tell us about your pelican debrief stops and then tell us about some of the stuff that you're doing at the step back and bourbon street shots yeah i'm from phoenix originally well still in phoenix um so the pelican connection was sort of just an interest in the team fandom in the team and being in the right place at the right time you know three or four editors ago now uh, matt sanfrone was um looking for people and so I just kind of caught on and then the team kind of took me and the culture and the city and all that. So, um, you know, just started writing and yeah, Pelican debrief was a great opportunity. I had a lot of fun, um, edited there with Rick for a little while now on the bourbon street shots and still writing about the Pelicans as much as I can. So even on, even on fan sided, the step back, whatever, I get, uh, as much Pelicans coverage as I can. in cause I don't think it's, uh, as I'm sure listeners and you as well, Preston, know that it's not necessarily a team that gets the most national coverage. Although this year, I think that was a little different. So that's actually pretty good. 
Yeah, the DeMarcus Cousins. You actually wrote an article for Fansided's The Step Back, the five most important things that happened this season. And number one, and I don't know if this was a bias because you were a Pelicans fan, but it definitely was a jaw-dropping move whenever DeMarcus Cousins went during All-Star Night to the Pelicans. That was one of his articles on The Step Back. We are here to talk about the Pelicans, and Brennan has been killing it. If you guys don't know Brendan Clean, he is a brilliant young writer. Like we said, he had some articles with Pelican Debrief six months ago, and he's been writing regularly with Bourbon Street Shots. One of the articles that you had this past week that I want to touch on, the New Orleans Pelicans are a bomb in a time capsule. This is a great article. Please, everybody, go and check it out. Uh, he he works alongside our favorite writers, Jake Madison, Michael McNamara, Mason Ginsburg, among the others. And like you said in the article, this is an extremely important offseason for the Pelicans. I'm not going to quote your entire article, but I I feel like I've been leading the uh, irate train of Pelicans fans. Nobody else seems to be upset. It's sort of same old, same old, how we've now been waiting four weeks since the conclusion of the offseason, and we still don't have a direction from Mickey Loomis and Tom Benson as to what the future of our franchise is going to entail when really we have some important decisions that we need to make in regards to Drew Holiday, DeMarcus Cousins, whether we're going to stick with Alvin Gentry with this up and down sort of offensive game that we were running with him. Talk talk about your feelings as to the, the, the wait and go approach that Mickey Loomis seems to have taken three years in a row now. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point the inclination is just to assume that the Pelicans are going to stay put. They're going to, you know, things are going to say that the, the way that they've been. Um, I, I think the most, you know, just considering that we're kind of already back in the same pattern, the same frustrating pattern as we have been the past few years is uh, shining a brighter light than ever before on just how, you know, I guess it's shining a light on darkness because I don't think we really ever have gotten a clear idea on the power structure in the Pelicans organization and every passing season where we're not quite sure who's making which decisions. And frankly, if the decisions are being made at all, um, I, I think back to Del Demps sort of just ending up the GM for the 2015-16 season is, or 2016-17 uh, season rather after you know endless rumors throughout the off season and and on through the regular season of whether he really even had that much power it was sort of just like they didn't schedule enough appointments for replacements or something it didn't really seem like they had a clear idea of what they were doing there and if they really wanted him or not but you know then he pulls off this grade that obviously has its you know pros and cons and and whatever but clearly a, a heist by all accounts and so now you know it would be even more shocking if they were to do something this year but um, the coach I think is the thing I look to even more which um, I because I really do think like I you know I, I sort of hint at in the, the the time capsule article it's just you can't discount how important every season of a superstar's prime is and whether this is Anthony Davis's prime is a different debate but he's clearly at the top at you know the top of the NBA um, and, and performing extremely well. So you can't waste a season. And if, if the season becomes, you know, wasted or another season is in jeopardy because of, you know, failure to make a coaching decision or failure to put the right people in place, that would be pretty disappointing. So I think that, you know, in that way, this year is, you know, maybe even more important than the past because there's so much more at stake. 
Yeah, you mentioned in your article, prioritizing identity for the sake of identity. You asked, do we trust the instincts of our leadership enough to sacrifice ourselves for them? And my takeaway from this is is this, so to speak, is that it doesn't matter to me if Mickey Loomis wants Del Demps and Alvin Gentry. You can make an argument for both sides. Del Demps has now been here for seven years. He's got a 42% winning percentage. It's You, you can, you can uh, fault him or you can take away from that the 351 games of injuries last year, the three different teams the Pelicans seemingly fielded this year. There, there is a room uh, to defend him in. And Alvin Gentry, like we said, three different teams that he coached this year, the the team without Drew Holiday for 12 games, then the, uh, I think, something around 50 games with Drew Holiday, without DeMarcus Cousins, and then finishing out the year with DeMarcus minus three of our wings. You can definitely take the side that they deserve a second chance. What bothers me is that it seems like they don't care. It seems like the NFL draft has now come and gone. They're bringing all these unrestricted uh, free agent rookie players in, and they're spending all their time doing that and not making a decision as to the future. Like we said, what could be the most important season going forward and talk about Dell Demps a little bit. You you mentioned some of the questionable moves. You mentioned the heist of a trade that was DeMarcus Cousins. I think we can all agree his uh, biggest mishap was probably the, Omer, the Omera Sheik five-year, $58 million deal. Uh, he's probably all but saved uh, himself another year with the DeMarcus Cousins trade. Now, with that being said, if you're the GM, if you're Mickey Loomis, do you want... Here's Sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little long-winded with this, but here's where I get really nervous. We get to January, the Pelicans are in the eighth seed, or maybe even a couple of games out of the eighth seed, and it's time to make a decision as to the future of DeMarcus Cousins. Are you comfortable allowing Dell Demps to make that decision? Yeah, I think that's the, the problem you run into. I mean, any any organization that doesn't put long-term trust in the people that are making decisions at the top of its structure, you know, I, I, I think you can say whatever you want about Mickey Loomis and the dynamic and the, the role he plays. Um, and I, I know nothing about the Saints, but I'm sure you could be even frustrated on, on, you know, on their front of whatever his role is with the Pelicans. I think it's, it's a confusing and, and obviously abnormal situation, but clearly the owner has trust in Loomis. So for whatever that's worth, he's been the, I mean, and Dems too now for seven years, they've been, you know, the constants they've been at least able to see their vision out and it hasn't always been a good one or it hasn't always worked out maybe the way that even they see it happening but the the game that they've played the past several years now with Demps or let's just let's just even narrow it down to the past let's say three seasons you know they had a coaching change and then you know on and on but I think the game you play when you're when you're dangling Demps's contract from year to year and publicly leaking um you know last last trade deadline there was uh we don't even know if Dell Demps is actually the guy that's on the phones and then you bring in Danny Ferry and it's never really made clear to what extent he's involved and to what extent you know to what responsibilities he has whether that's personnel whether that's managerial whether that's more you know communication or just you know having him in because he knows people around the league it's never really clear um and so yeah now every season and and if you're demarcus cousins and and frankly if if you're anthony davis as well i think that's what i more than anything am so puzzled by about davis's tenure 
um, and you know the reason that I refer to it as a bomb and all those things. I think that's pretty played out at this point. That you know phrasing and all that. But I think it's true in this case, especially because Davis is he has no reason to have so much space in the organization. They've they've put him in the playoffs one time. They've surrounded him with subpar players on overpriced contracts, and they've had success, which is, I think, maybe the only saving grace is they've put it together in a way that is has been successful at its best points. But when you have a guy who you can't even trust to be around, you know, if, if Davis has a great relationship with Del Demps, what does he see when, when Mickey Loomis and Tom Benson and, you know, whoever else is, is making those decisions is kind of playing with him every year? You know, how does that look? He fired, they fired Monty Williams. That clearly took a toll on the organization, and now they're threatening to do the same thing with the only GM Davis has ever known and a coach who's brought out some of his best performances ever. You know, it's it, it just from that point of view is, is almost maybe the most frustrating um, to because at this point, the, everything has to revolve around Davis, you know. Totally. And um, like like it says in your bomb in a time capsule, I want to keep harping on this. Uh, the, the clock is ticking on Anthony Davis, and there there isn't a lot of reason for him to trust Mickey Loomis and Dell Demps and to a lesser extent Alvin Gentry, who has it, it, it. You walk away from this thinking Alvin Gentry has very little control as to uh, what players come into New Orleans. But one thing I want to stay away from is this idea that Kevin O'Connor uh, wrote an article for The Ringer that was titled, Players Like Anthony Davis Don't Stay in Cities Like New Orleans. This win now, this don't waste years of a superstar, I think is a big reason as to these moves, like the the Drew Holiday two first-round picks, the first-round pick for Omera Sheik, Tyreek Evans sending away Vasquez and Robin Lopez when they were on pretty great contracts. This this win now attitude is almost putting us into this desperation mode that's forcing us to make these problematic decisions. And uh, whether you agree that the one year of Demarcus Cousins is worth two lottery picks or not, should it not work out, that sets us back another two years of of Buddy Held and whatever player might come in this season. Do you do you ever feel like with three years guaranteed left of Anthony Davis and a fourth, which I think is the player option, that? that we need to just take a step back and calm down? Or is, like your article is saying, do you think the clock is ticking and we need to put a winner together by this season? I guess I should make it clear that, yeah, I I think the, the, the higher-level questions that we're talking about with the front office and with, uh, you know, think words used, words like vision and, uh, like, you know, plan and focus, things like that where, it, it just signals an organizational alignment and a, you know, a clear foresight. I think those are the more necessary steps in the short term for the team. I, I don't even necessarily think, I mean, I do have opinions about how they should construct the team and, and what maybe the best direction is to go and we can go there. But I think what I more mean when I talk about the, the ticking time bomb aspect, this, the the countdown that has already begun, you know, in the form of Anthony Davis's contract. I think that that's just a, both in communication to Davis and a support of Davis and just a relationship with the fans. There has to be a direction. And I think the, the, the back and forth nature of it all in the past several years has been what, what has been frustrating. You know, I think, and, it, and I think, you know, you can't have any conversation about this team without talking about injuries. 
I think they had a team in 2014-15 that they thought they could move forward with, and that team couldn't stay on the court. So you have to move. You have to move on. Great. So then you move on and you draft and you draft a player like Buddy Heald, who they clearly were high on and had a decent rookie season. And I think he showed showed a, a lot of uh, progress throughout the season and just promise in general with the skills he flashed. And then you trade him, you know. And then now there's Marcus Cousins who has one year. So you know, regardless of whether he stays or goes, now that's a whole extra set of questions you're being forced to ask, and you know, decisions you're being forced to make. And that's the nature of an NBA front office in general. But from an outsider's point of view especially with that darkness I referenced earlier where we're not really given a clear reference of, you know, what's really going on there. It's really difficult to pinpoint exactly what the plan is and what's going to happen in the future. And that's what's frustrating. And that's what, if I were Davis and any, you know, I can even just say as myself, as a follower and a, you know, writer about this team, that's what frustrates me. And I think that is what I hear and see from a lot of other fans. Direction. That's something you mentioned. And uh, that's something that we had Jeff Duncan from the Times picking you and a Mason Ginsburg. And one of the things that they all lament is that it seems that management with the New Orleans Pelicans just goes wherever the wind takes them. If it's a player becomes available, they, they acquire the player. If for some reason something doesn't work out with a 10 day contract, they let them go. It doesn't seem like there's doesn't seem like there's a plan, like you said. And whenever Scott Kushner who was interviewed by Jake Madison, uh, mentions that that we call the Pelicans the stepbrother to the New Orleans Saints, somebody who's just kind of there and exists, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a trophy for an aging owner, Tom Benson. Dennis Lausha uh, apparently takes takes hard exception to that, but they keep proving by example that that there is no plan in place. Alvin Gentry even confessed that there's option A, B, C, D, E, F this summer. There just shouldn't be that many options. And I want to touch on Alvin Gentry. Uh, you talk about him in your article. You had some really fun stuff about the future of the Pelicans being tied to defense and finishing the, the season, I think, seventh overall in defensive efficiency. At the time you wrote the article, they were sixth. And is Alvin Gentry the type of coach to get the best out of them, the type of coach who's who's going to make these two superstars give it, you know, night in, night out, bang the glass, uh, you know, fight th through those picks. Uh, you wrote exactly, dominate the glass, protect the rim, control playmakers is argu arguably more intense than the most aggressive offensive blitzkriegs. Can two superstars truly buy in? Is Alvin Gentry the coach to unlock it? Answer your own question for us, Brandon. I would say, and I, it's, it's really tricky talking about Gentry, and, and it's this way with a lot of coaches of his caliber in general. I, somebody that's had so much success, it's really difficult to argue with. And, you know, somebody who's been around the game for as long as he has, you sort of just give them the benefit of the doubt, you know. He's never had these exact players because, in a way, two players this talented and this unique have never existed, let alone on the same team. You know, so it's 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 almost it's so imaginary that it's almost easier just to give him the benefit of the doubt. And the other thing, you know, like I said, uh, Phoenix, and and that's clearly where Gentry has had you know some of his best, his highest successes. Um, you know, the 2010 Suns team that went to the Western Conference Finals obviously comes to mind. And when you think of the Suns, especially the Steve Nash Suns, you think of offense and you think of you know teams that struggled defensively. Um, but I don't necessarily think, you know, I think the best coaches, I think Mike D'Antoni in this year's uh, season, this, this year's playoffs especially, is giving us an example that it's almost more important to just be successful in whatever way, you know, you can and 
I think that that also, you know, ties back into the organizational vision and those conversations that we were having before, where if, if the, I don't think it necessarily matters how Gentry gets them to buy in. I think it's just more puzzling that defense happened to be the calling card this year and that they acquire an offensive first superstar. It just, again, signals a further disconnect between what's happening in the front office, what's happening on the court, what's being told to the fans and all this. So I think Gentry could clearly be the coach. I just don't know if the team even knows if they want him to be that coach. I don't know if he knows. You know, I don't know if he knows what his future is. I don't know if he knows what kinds of players are going to be brought in to support the team. I think that's, you know, again, it just kind of goes back to that. But I think Gentry could could clearly be a successful coach with this team. I think he had, you know, he had, especially toward the very end of the season, legitimate success and, and showed that he might have, you know, some wrinkles to add in the off season and all that. So I'm optimistic. I just have no idea. I guess that could be the, the slogan for the Pelicans the past couple of years in general, but <laughs> it's, it's fair. There's, there's really no way to diagnose his successes or failures because he's had so many teams across his, his two seasons, not to mention the 351 games of injuries. His first year, you would think that he had kind of the equipment he needed to be successful with Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson spacing the floor for Anthony Davis, but we weren't yet comfortable putting Anthony at the five. So we were giving meaningless minutes to a Marashik that didn't work out well. And then we add Solomon Hill and Etuan Moore, and we're asking the team to be more defensive minded. And then all of a sudden we lose Drew Holiday and then we gain DeMarcus Cousins. I, I do I do think it's fair to give Alvin Gentry uh, another shot. And with that, you almost have to keep Dell Demps unless you decide to move on to Danny Ferry, who's kind of this shadow lurking in the corner. We don't know if he does anything at all. Kind of like Mickey Loomis when they asked him at the Senior Bowl about the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, I think it was the game where Terrence Jones exploded against the Cleveland Cavaliers. He had something like, I don't know, 36 points and 12 rebounds or something. And they asked Mickey Loomis at the Senior Bowl, hey, how about those Pelicans? And he said, you know, to be completely honest, I think you guys overestimate how much I actually pay attention. I didn't watch that game. I've got another job to attend to. So so it's it's completely... It's completely difficult, and then you've got the argument that you wanna you wanna placate uh, to to Demarcus Cousins, who's had seven coaches across seven seasons. You don't want to just keep the revolving door. You you want him to become comfortable. So I don't know, Brendan. I guess keeping the status quo is is the best solution. Let's let's move on to Drew Holiday. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say. I think the the biggest. Uh... Even more than, you know, I think Gentry and Demps and, and Loomis are obviously the three in the, the higher up, the front office and, and decision maker tree that or branch that, that this team revolves around. But I think even more than anything, when we're talking about this summer, it's going to be holiday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was I was just going to mention, like, it. It seems like, in your estimation, it seems like Mickey Loomis doesn't pay all that much attention. Honestly, he probably just got the job because Tom Benson is in this ever-going legal feud with his children and his grandchildren. He's trying to give the reins over to his third wife, Gail. So he he doesn't have time to make decisions for the Pelicans. So he appointed his close personal friend, Mickey Loomis, who doesn't pay all that much attention. You'd have to think Alvin Gentry isn't really having a whole lot of say based on the player movement. It kind of seems like Del Demps is a one-man show. Would would that be a good uh, would that be a good way of putting it in your estimation? I think so, and I think you know, I was saying earlier that you know maybe perhaps Barry's role in all of this might have been somebody who's well connected in the league. He had stops in San Antonio, obviously, so you know clearly was a big part of putting this Atlanta team together or 
you know, a, a prior iteration of the Atlanta team. So, but I, I think that would be to discounting what Demps provides because I, he's, he's just as much in that same realm of, of, you know, basketball lifer type of, you know, guy. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I, I think you'd be right in saying that because yeah, like you said, you go down the list and, and it sort of seems like that would, that would have to be the case. And I think that would be, sort of go on to explain why he has so much value that it would be difficult for a bunch of people who don't pay attention <laughs> to this team to move on from him. You know, if they were, you know, the results might not have always been what anybody's hoping that they could be, but when you see somebody who's consistently making moves, who's consistently trying to put a good product on the court, who, you know, has earned the trust of his superstar, who's, who, you know, has, you know, the trust of, you know, in all, by all accounts, every player, I think Holiday, you know, at least is going to give a long thought to staying with the team. Cousins seemed optimistic. All of the, all the players seem happy. You know what I mean? So, um, we might not be happy looking on the outside when you see players getting injured or you see players, two of the best players on the team last year, leaving in free agency for the same team and then publicly making, you know, sort of rude comments in the media about, you know, their their dismissal or frustrations with the team. And all that doesn't look great. But when you see the cumulative career that Demps has had in New Orleans, it's sort of difficult to argue that he hasn't just at least done his best and that's you know a silly thing to say about a grown man doing a really high powerful job but at the end of the day there's a lot of guys for whom you can't say that that are general managers in the NBA so yeah I think like you're saying the status quo almost does just sort of make the most sense yeah and uh in case anybody wants to know who Brendan Clean is mentioning I think he's probably talking in regards to Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson who immediately blazed their trail out of New Orleans Lance Stevenson who uh was assembled early on in the season as an injury replacement hurt himself got immediately cut Jared Jack a very similar instance where he got a 10-day contract but Del Demps is not a monster uh Jared Jack was said to have been kept on state of practices. My my point is this, and then I promise we're going to move on. In seven seasons, Dell Demps is not a bad guy. He hasn't done a bad job. The point is, it hasn't been enough. He achieved a seven seed in his first season where the Pelicans got a couple, or the Hornets at the time, got a couple of really exciting wins against a Laker team that they were never going to topple, but just some, some fun uh, 4-2 series. And then we achieved an eight seed where we got swept by the Golden State Warriors, albeit we should have won one of those games. But it's just it's just not enough, and at some point you have to make a change, and Danny Ferry is a good candidate to keep Alvin Gentry, not really upset the, the, the apple cart, but with that being said, we're going to go forward with him. Let's talk about what actually is important at that at this point, and that's Drew Holiday. Uh, by all accounts, a great guy, won a Community, community Cares Award, excuse me, uh, was rated the best defensive point guard in the NBA by Bleacher Report just six weeks ago. Uh, had the instance with his wife, Lauren, at the beginning of the season that caused him to miss 12 games, but he has been relatively healthy uh, lately. And before we added DeMarcus Cousins, he was putting up a very admirable 16 and 17 and a half assists. He was only turning over the ball twice a game. Those numbers obviously changed as we added DeMarcus Cousins. He's eligible for an, an ungodly five-year $176 million from us, according to Larry Kuhn. Four years, $130 million from the free agency market. You wrote in your article a little bit about prioritizing an identity. You wrote about some triangle sets that the Pelicans had utilized with Holiday, DeMarcus Cousins, and Anthony Davis. Before I ask you if we should bring him back and at what cost, 
Do you think it could work long-term with Drew Holiday as the point man in a triangle offense with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins? I'll make two points here. I, I, yeah, that, that, the first is that that piece that I, um, I got that all that whole idea and, and train of thought from a piece written by Kumar and he's at fear the Brown on Twitter. I'm sure most people listening to this at least know who he is and probably follow him on Twitter, but he wrote a piece for Bourbon Street Shots detailing, you know, the success that the Pelicans had running the triangle. And I think that the triangle has a really strange uh, perception around the league. And I will admit that I learned a lot from reading the piece that he wrote and, and having him show us what the Pelicans were doing. Because I think with all the problems in, with the Knicks right now and the struggles of certain types of players to fit, it just has a, you know, there's a perception that it could never work again. And that, you know, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan are the only, but I think that with two players, and this was clear from the beginning, I think this is the reason so many people were really excited about the fact that even though these two players, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins are both, you know, nearly seven feet tall or above and have a very score first mindset, they're both very good passers. Davis has made a lot of progress in that regard, especially this year, passing out of double teams finding the open man in an offense that required him to do it a lot more with less talent around him. And so that's going to be the fulcrum of a triangle offense. You're going to give one of those guys the ball on the elbow and the, you know, action will move around them. You're going to run modified pick and rolls. You're going to have movement around the court. You're going to be freeing up players. And that's that sort of thing, player motion. And you see the team like the Warriors do it. And you maybe think, oh, well, that works because of the shooting. But Part of the reason that those guys are open is because of the motion, because of the passing, because of the cutting and the screening. Those the the tenets of an offense like that can definitely work for a team like the Pelicans that's maybe not so blessed with amazing spacing like the Warriors or you know the best uh, teams in the past that have had success playing that way. Because I think they have players who can do that kind of thing. I think Etwan Moore is a player who can make shots all around the court. I think Drew Holiday is the same. I think they both have three-point range but can also drive to the rim. I think Solomon Hill is a great passer for his position and has the, you know, the physicality and, and, and size to do that. Um, going back to Holiday specifically, the piece that Zach Lowe wrote that I think every, every Pelicans fan should read about Drew Holiday and the decisions that the team's facing um, put it best, which is the team has a core problem with Holiday where they really don't know whether they think he can be the player that Gentry's system needs him to be. He likes to make decisions on the fly. He likes to score. He likes to dribble, you know, survey his options, pull up for mid-range if there's an open shot. You know, he, he's not so freewheeling. He's not so premeditated, pick and roll over and over, those kinds of things that we've come to associate with with Gentry's point guards and, and the systems that he's had success in. I mean, the Los Angeles Clippers are a team that, you know, he was a primary engineer of, you know, Lob City. He was there in the early days of that. And that's clearly not what this team looks like. So I think that's the problem. You just have to figure out if, if Holiday is going to be able to work. And those, so then the decision comes hand in hand with Gentry. And I think that's the, you know, we're back. It's almost like the never ending circle. All this, all the decisions are intertwined. And you have to make them all so quickly. Yeah, uh, before we move on, I, I, I just want to mention again, Kumar, thank you so much for that recommendation. Go to Bourbon Street Shots, 
Greenberg's article on triangle sets. And again, uh, look for Zach Lowe's article about Drew Holiday. I'm so glad that, that you brought up the Clippers because when I think of Drew Holiday, I think of a poor man's Chris Paul and that Chris Paul this season averaged something around 18 and 10 and Drew Holiday was averaging 16 and 8 before the DeMarcus Cousins edition. The the, the similarities, other than both being uh, great defensive players, that I think the two of them share that frustrates their fans is that they have the penchant and the ability to score, but late in games, when you need them to take over, when you need them to take the reins and just throw the team on their back and get to the bucket, get to the free throw line, they, they just don't do it. In fact, I'm looking for it right now. Free throws attempted post-All-Star break with DeMarcus and Anthony Davis. You would think this would be a better time to get free throws because the team is always in the penalty with DeMarcus always drawing fouls. He averaged a paltry 1.7 free throw attempts per game post uh, DeMarcus Cousins. I think he just lacks that killer instinct, in my opinion. Not that I'm anyone uh, to ask on this. I'm a volunteer. But talk Talk about talk about his contract now. Uh, like I said, we're eligible to give him something like $35 million a season over five years, but we obviously can't do that. When Del Demson, Alvin Gentry uh, declared that, they, that he was our priority, you have to believe that they meant he, he was their priority at, let's say, I don't know, five years, $90 million. What is your opinion as to his future and his worth to this team in the free agency market? Yeah, I'll admit, I mean, I'm not a complete expert. I try to be as up, up to date with, I think it's just so difficult to value players on the free agency market, is what I'm saying, because they're always going to have a different value to the team that's trying to retain them than they are to the team that's trying to play, you know, the bandit role and come in and snatch a player that they want. And, you know, the NBA's built in incentives for the player to stay with the team that they're on the fifth year, you know, the extra 8% increases per year on a max contract. If Holiday were to, to get that from the Pelicans, they can offer him 8% raises every year, whereas a regular team could offer him, or, uh, you know, and a different team outside of New Orleans could offer him only four years with only 5% raises every year. And so those things are clearly there. But again, like you're kind of referencing, I don't think Holiday is quite worth that as far as talent and production go and and injury history but at a certain point that's the price you pay for a player you'd like to keep or you know from an uh, another team's point of view that's how much you pay for a player you'd like to go get I think you know you look at Chandler Parsons last year he fetched a crazy amount of money on a questionable you know health streak of his own and looked like one of the worst situations in the league Joakim Noah same you know, that's probably was a short-sighted deal in the first place. But you see these deals all around the league every summer, and you start to wonder if, if some team's desperate enough, they're going to drive up the price for Holiday because he has stayed healthy, he is a point guard, and he has three-point range and in a defensive um, ability that's that's better than most point guards. So he has, you know, clear and, and high value on the market. So you just wonder what that bidding war will look like, and you sort of just hope that maybe – the the built-in respect and trust that the Pelicans might have earned goes somewhere. You know, you it's it's really you get into more of the emotional and and uh, psychological things that are way harder to quantify because you know that some teams going to want him. You know, or many teams are probably going to want him. 
Yeah, uh, just to mention on Chandler Parsons, that's a four-year, $94.5 million contract. That's got to be the worst in the NBA now, surpassing Omer Sheik, possibly Timothy Mozgov, uh, and Joakim Noah. Uh, in regards to Drew Holiday, the difference between a max from the Pelicans and a, and a free agent destination, brace yourself, is $46 million in guaranteed money, which is insane. Some of the uh, the destinations that I've heard, I've been interviewing a bunch of other fan-sided site networks uh, during the season, uh, before games, sort of preview and conclusion type scenarios. I talked to guys from the Lakers, Nuggets, Knicks, 76ers, Bulls. They're all said to be interested. Now, the good thing is the Lakers already made some bad decisions and contracts in regard to Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov. The Nuggets have a lot of figuring out to do. There's a lot of moving pieces that could be taking place there. The Knicks, same scenario. Uh, they've got that Noah contract, so they don't have a ton of flexibility unless they move Melo. The 76ers seem the likeliest candidate to have both the the position available and the money available do you do you think he goes back to philadelphia or or do you have another destination in mind should he uh cut cut tail and get out of town yeah i think it makes sense as a destination i think that it's interesting you know those teams you say it's not often that uh at least it doesn't strike me as a, a trend from the past several years where the teams that are the most um point guard hungry, you know, that the, the worst teams in the league with the most cap room also need point guards. That seems generally strange. I think in the past several years, most of the talent coming out of the draft, you think Kyrie Irving, you think um, Derek Rose, players in that, you know, four or five year stretch that were being picked at the very top of the draft were all point guards. So it wasn't often that the teams at the bottom of the standings also were the ones that were in the market for a point guard in the summer with the free agency money that they had to spend. I think it's traditionally been filling out the roster, you know, on the wings since the, you know, as we saw last summer, Solomon Hill is a great example of a player that got that got paid because of that market. So it'll be interesting this summer because all of the players who signed deals the same summer as as um, Holiday are going to be free agents. Uh, Jeff Teague and well, obviously Steph Curry, who probably is not going to be going anywhere. He'll probably be signed shortly after. But it'll be interesting to see because of these teams that need point guards are also really poorly performing teams. So you're going to, if, if you're a Jeff T, if you're a, Jeff, a Drew Holiday, you're going to be going to a team that's clearly worse than the one you were playing on during the past season. But that's just, you know, going to be part of the equation. I think the Sixers make a lot of sense because clearly a defensive point guard to pair with Ben Simmons, who's going to handle the ball, makes a lot of sense. And someone who can also shoot, which Holiday has both. But again, he's going to be making a decision to go play for a genuinely uh, inarguably worse team um and leaving a team leaving a city and a team that he you know has a, a longer history with now than he did with the 76ers so that's it, it is just going to be an interesting decision on all of those guys parts and i think holiday you know beside you know again besides curry is going to land right about the top of of the crop this year so it's going to be he'll have the first say of all, of all those teams that that need a player like him uh it's it's fun to talk about but honestly it's it's really difficult to determine the the need and the availability until we get to the draft on June 22nd because you'd have to consider if the 76ers draft Alonzo Ball or a Fultz that there probably isn't room for Drew Holiday at shooting guard position but you never know uh he worked as a 
pretty uh, successful off-ball defender um, this year with the Pelicans. So who's who's to say? Uh, let's move along. You know what? Before we get to this, with, with all this free agency circulation like the Jeff Teagues and George Hills and Chris Pauls uh, all being free agents, we have to believe that most of them aren't going anywhere. Blake Griffin can get $50 million more by staying in Los Angeles. Do you have any crazy, like, out-of-the-box predictions for these type of superstar, all-star level players leaving town like a Kyle Lowry, for example? Yeah, I thought the Lowry stuff was interesting to sit today. I saw Mark Stein tweeting that a lot of the what had previously been whispers about Lowry's desire to maybe test the market, uh, especially going out west and trying his luck there, had been whispers and maybe now are coming a little louder with the failure that they had in the second round against the Cavaliers. But again, it's so difficult for a player like that with the with the salary incentives to stay. And with there's a reason that a player like Al Horford moving teams or um, I can't think of a, another better example, but you know, every year there's players like him that are, I guess, you know, Kevin Durant, that he, if he could have signed a, a five-year maximum deal with the Thunder and would have gotten more per year by the end of his deal than he's getting this year, but decided to move. And, and it's that's why it's such a shocking decision when those players choose to do that because they're leaving a good situation. They're leaving a lot of money on the table. Um, and they're – so I, 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 I would hate it, – it's so impossible to pick. I think, though, I think Gordon Hayward is an interesting one because of his connection with Brad Stevens and the fact that he was signed – or had a lot of interest. He was signed to a, a, an offer sheet, I think, the last time he hit free agency by some team and the, the Jazz match. So Charlotte. Um, Charlotte, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then they signed Lance instead, right? Yeah, well, so I, Charlotte, they, they got Lance. They signed him to a three-and-one. The fourth was a player option, so it really just destroyed uh, Utah's future going forward because had they just signed him to a five-year max offer sheet, which everybody predicted they would do, they wouldn't be in this predicament right now. Exactly. But again, like, are George Hill or Gordon Hayward really going to leave a team that, that play, is playing at least possibly well against the, one of the best teams we've ever seen in the second round of the playoffs with potential to get better? I don't think you're going to find a better situation than that. Um and so I, I, I hesitate to, to make any predictions, especially, I mean, Kyle Lowry's his best friend plays with him from what it, from all accounts, you know? So it, it's, but I, I think there's going to, there's always going to be one, you know, I think LA is a good place to look. I think the idea that Paul Griffin and Jordan will be on the same team next year, it just seems like a long shot. So I think, you know, that's an interesting thing to look at whether the Clippers decide to make a change once they get a, a you know, vision of what the team might look like in the future, or if one of those players decides that they're, it's, it's not for them. I think that's a good place to look. And that, I mean, I guess that holds some importance to maybe the Pelicans fans that are still keeping tabs on their old uh, point guard. I know we are, we are such lovers uh, scorned by Chris Paul. No, I think everybody has a really high esteem for Chris Paul. He left in the most admirable way possible. He didn't wait until the end and just, uh, Cut tail out of town. I don't. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember after the fake trade to the Los Angeles Lakers that was going to net us Pau Gasol. The trade got nullified by David Stern. What I'm not sure a lot of Pelicans fans remember is that the following day, Chris Paul showed up at Pelicans practice over in the West Bank, and he continued practicing with the team after all this had gone down, knowing full well that the team was still working in conjunction with the Clippers to facilitate another trade. So. 
yes, I want him back. I want him back uh, so <laughs> badly. <laughs> just just such a good all-around guy. And if Doc Rivers, who has been rumored in Orlando Magic uh, reunion talks, if, if that's something that could take place, yeah, you never know. But it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine that Chris Paul engineered this five-year, post-32-year-old uh, contract. Exactly. It's, it's hard to imagine that he would leave, unless it was some sort of sign-and-trade, but um, this is all a lot. But talking about Kyle Lowry, man, oh, man, how difficult must it be to be a Toronto Raptors fan? They, they have the opportunity to go ahead with their first-round picks and their second-round picks. They give them up for one year of P.J. Tucker and Serge Ibaka, and what you have to believe is at least going to take them to a six-game series with the Cavaliers, and they get swept, and the closest game was seven points, and that was today, unfortunately. Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday night, obviously. Um, not that I want to talk too much about the Raptors, but... How how bleak does the future look going forward if you're a Raptors fan? Well, I think it's always fun to play the game of looking around the league and sort of just, you know, playing fantasy um, because I think I would kill. You know, we talked so much about Del Demps in the earlier part of this, this podcast and Mickey Loomis and that entire situation that can be frustrating at times. You look at a situation like Toronto, like a general manager like Masai Ujiri, I, there's not many – guys I'd rather have making decisions for my team than him um uh he I I think if you can bet on anything with the Raptors it's that he's going to make whatever moves necessary to improve that team you know if whether that's the short term if he still thinks this can work or the long term and and that'll be a little more gruesome if yeah again if you are a, a Raptors fan but you know you want to talk about vision and clarity and all those things. That's the best example that I can think of or one of, you know, around the league. There's not many guys who are quicker to make a decision when they find a a good one than he is. I think, you know, trading players and going all in in a season like this, when they really thought they could, they could push the Cavaliers acquiring PJ Tucker and Serge Ibaka. It's crazy to think that they couldn't win two games this year with a team with more talent. That's yeah, you're, you're right. You're right on. It's, it would be very disgruntling, but I think you can take solace in the fact that you have such a good situation at the top of your your organization, and unlike you know maybe at, at its worst on its worst days, the Pelicans franchise. And that's where I get to this the Sam Hankey trust the process debate. If you're not the Golden State Warriors, you're not the Cleveland Cavaliers, and you're not say San Antonio. What what is the impetus to try to compete? What is the impetus to to give up first round picks to try to assemble talent to try to get a little bit better? Why do the Utah Jazz want to be perennial fourth seed uh, West uh, playoff team? Why why don't they want these players to walk? Why don't they want to trade them and just amass all these uh, first round picks and much in the way that Boston has and the 76ers have and try to wait out LeBron James and Steph Curry's career? It sounds completely asinine, but at this point like we have to ask ourselves is anybody truly competing outside of those three teams um i I, we've we've gone on for a while now uh if you want to come back on in a couple of weeks and talk some free agency prospects i'd love to have you but i just want to finish with one more point in regards to your article the pelicans have stuck with their stigmatized medical staff far past its half-life and have paid and missed games this is taken directly out of prioritizing identity for the sake of identity by brendan clean Talk about this this medical staff, and the reason that I bring it up is because I want to talk about Quincy Pondexter. You talked about how our team was equipped to play well and win a lot of games in the 2015 season that saw Quincy Pondexter playing so well, and he is a player that would fit in so seamlessly with the team that we have now. 
just before we go, talk a little bit about Coupon. For those of us who don't remember what it was like to have him on the team, do you think there's a chance that we get him back? Do you think he's done? Or do you think that we put him with Agensa and we uh, you know, sign and trade him for, I don't know, let's say Jeremy Lin and maybe a second-round pick? Yeah, I think there's a chance that some team might see the same sort of promise that the Pelicans fans have been clamoring for for the past couple of years and have been so discouraged to not see come to fruition on the court. I think including him in a package like that or, you know, and any sort of thing, he's clear. He's like the perfect salary filler cost. He's what is that about four or 5 million, right? So uh, I'm going to look it up right now. I believe it's 3.9, but I will tell you in a second. So a player like that makes a, a ton of sense in that sort of deal. But I also think the Pelicans at this point, if I, I, I sort of just think, you know, if they haven't decided to cut bait yet, why, you know, why would they now? I think now, you know, it's, he's missed an unprecedented amount of time from this injury, so it almost makes more sense to just hold on and 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 see your efforts to their end. Um, I think, yeah, it, it would be great to see what he could do with a coach in a in a system like this one, like Gentry, and the, what he's hoping to run. And he'd be a great option to space the floor. He's he's you know, I think the reason that they wanted a player like Etwan Moore is because they had so much success with somebody who's just a little bigger than him who is Quincy Pondexter. Um, I, and one thing that I do want to add in regard to this conversation in general is to just hat tip Justin Verrier. Um, as I'm, I don't know if you've talked about it on this program, but we were, it's pretty crazy how lucky we were as Pelicans fans and, and followers to have an ESPN beat writer in a city like New Orleans on a small team like, like the Pelicans. And, and just to appreciate, he wrote an amazing piece on the, the, the health, the training staff, the coaching staff, and and all of the injuries right about when he first started um, covering the team, and that's a great one to go back and look at when you're you know thinking about the decisions they're making and and maybe watching Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon playoffs. That's tonight. It's going on right now. So um, all of those guys are involved, and that's an interesting piece because it showed. I mean, he talked about progress, and it showed this year. And and Pondexter, you know, is going to have one last chance to give it a go, and so I think that the the optimism that we can see from the, the injury situation this year, even if it's only small, is uh, stems a lot from what I read in that piece. Quincy Pondexter is on the books for $3.85 million this season, so we were both right on the nose. I'm so glad that you brought up Justin Verrier. I was going to ask in parting shots, uh, just for your opinion, uh, we all have come across his work, and he's done such a, a wonderful job, and I actually reached out to him, uh, much like I do, to, to get any of the uh, interviews that I get on this podcast. It's just me at people on Twitter, and he was kind enough to actually respond, and I hope I'm not betraying his trust by mentioning this, but... Uh, due to the the circumstances with ESPN, he is not eligible to go on podcasts at this time, but he was so friendly and couldn't have been nicer to reach back to me and explain the situation. And uh, I wish him the best. He's definitely going to land, you know, on his feet somewhere. He does such a phenomenal job. Like you said, Brendan clean, you guys, if I didn't mention it before, follow him at Brendan clean 14. You can read his works at bourbon street shots and the step back on fan sided, a fantastic network for reading about basketball. He's got a son's piece up right now. And it is the Suns are not good but still demand our attention and it dives into the future of the Phoenix Suns. Brendan, plug yourself, talk about what you've got going on right now and what our readers can expect to see from you going forward. 
I'm going uh, going to continue to write all of those places over the summer, follow the moves. I mean, the Suns and the Pelicans are two interesting teams, more so in the summer than during the fall and spring because of the um, maybe heavy change that happens for those teams every year. So um, I'm excited to do that, keep writing for the step back, following everything as, uh, within the league as a whole. And I'm actually going to be covering the WNBA a little bit this summer, going to the Phoenix Mercury games through uh, Summit Hoops. So I guess I can plug that too. That's Howard Megdahl's um, new uh, WNBA hub on Fansided, um, which they're doing amazing work. They have coaches and players and, and writers that are doing really good stuff there. So I'm excited to get become a part of that and see what I can do with that stuff. So if you're interested in women's basketball, which you should be because it's interesting and, and something to do during the summer for hoops fans that are missing their NBA games. Um, so yeah, I guess that'd be the best place to look over the summer. Congratulations. What an awesome score that is. And uh, wow. How did you stumble on that? They're uh, they're, they're wanting people to, uh, I think that the goal of it, uh, the site that they're putting together is um uh, there's a coach, a former coach that's uh, his, his first name is Blake. I'm spacing on his last name. He just goes by coach Blake on all the stuff he posts. Um, he, he put it best. I think when he was saying, you know, we always complain that our sports not covered well enough. So I decided to do something about it, you know? So they're, they're, they're getting together all people that they can find that are, have a passion for basketball and have a passion for the women's game and growing it and, and getting people into it. And they, you know, I just reached out and, and I'm going to see what I can do. Congratulations. Uh, I asked selfishly for myself. I'm based in Orlando and the Orlando Miracle is a team located here. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take a dive in myself and see if I can have some of the same luck. Brendan, thank you so much for your time. A wonderful interview and such a thrill for me because uh, just six months ago, Brendan was on the other side interviewing the Mason Ginsburgs, the Ian Levy's and a year ago interviewing me. So it was really fun to be on this side of the, of the spectrum and to talk to you again. Thank you so much. We'd love to have you back on in a couple more weeks. If you'd love, like to come back on and talk free agency once we get a little bit closer and uh, best of luck going forward in Phoenix and yeah, uh, keep up the great work on Bourbon Street Shots and step back and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. I'm glad. Yeah, it was fun. I would love to do it again. Thank you guys again so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to Brendan Clean. Again, that's at Brendan Clean 14 and the Brendan is with an O. It's B-R-E-N-D-O-N-K-L-E-E-N. Thank you to him. Thank you to Bourbon Street Shots, you guys. Mason Ginsburg, Brendan Clean. Go read their stuff. Michael McNamara is brilliant. Jake Madison is a fantastic host over on uh, Locked on Pels. Thank you so much to that team for coming over and talking to us. We really appreciate all the wonderful insight and we love reading your articles. Kumar was a name that was dropped earlier. He's Fear the Brow over there. So thank you so much to those guys. Again, you guys, download our previous podcast. Like I said, we've had Jordan Crawford, Mia Fields, Jeff Duncan, Ian Levy, Mason Ginsburg, Rick Stone, Wilton Jackson, Chris Corner. We, we just keep rolling here. We can really use your support. Subscribe, like, retweet. Head on over to our site, pelicandebrief.com. I've got a couple of articles up this week about why the time is now for Mickey Loomis and about why Danny Ferry is the solution that the Pelicans need if you want to oust Del Demps but keep the rest of the status quo. So we love your support. We need even more of it. Let's keep talking about Pels and all we need is for you to listen and we will. You guys, let's go Pels. Pels.